Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, and as you know, we're always concerned about what's going on in Congress, especially as it relates to spending and especially when it relates to how things are getting done. Uh, we know there's been a uh, change back to the old uh, earmarks of the past that uh, after the House and the Senate have uh, have acted, uh, they've been able to kind of work their way around uh, almost a decade. I guess it is about a decade old ban on the, on the practice of earmarks, of using that directed money to kind of grease the skids of getting some things done. Uh, James Walner, our good friend from R Street Institute, uh, says that a uh, – a Congress that habitually ignores its own rules is not going to be fixed by earmarks. James, give us the lowdown. What's going on? Well, it's good to be back with you all. Um, you know, earmarks are one of those silver bullet unicorns that exist out there that reformers like to talk about as if somehow they can come in and get rid of all of this dysfunction, that they can get the Congress deliberating again legislating again, that somehow on their own, earmarks are going to jumpstart the legislative process and fix all of our problems. And just simple common sense, regardless of what you believe about earmarks, simple common sense should tell you that that is not the case. Yeah. Uh, I loved uh, in the piece that you wrote, we'll put this up on our uh, social media pages, that uh, earmarks will not fix Congress because the decision to ban them didn't break it. <laughs> I mean, that's right. Look, the decision to ban earmarks, there's cases to be made for them and there's cases to be made against them. But the simple fact of the matter is that Congress did not all of a sudden stop working once they banned earmarks. Congress stopped working once legislators stopped following the rules and only used the rules when they were convenient to them and ignored the rules when they weren't. Yeah, and I think that's the real critical piece of the puzzle is, uh, you know, often – for our listeners, you know, when they when we talk about earmarks, uh, we often use the terms like, you know, bridges to nowhere uh, that were appropriated uh, as part of other larger packages. So these are things that usually don't get debated. They usually don't get amended. They get tucked in, you know, on page 867 of a 1,500-page bill. Uh, but it's very targeted, very directed spending. Uh, and, uh, the case, part of the case that you've been making for us, James, is, is not only that, that is an issue and we can have that debate and we can have that conversation. Uh, but you raised this broader topic that I think is equally important. And that is, uh, Congress isn't following its own rules in a number of areas. So we, we shouldn't expect earmarks to fix that. 
That's right. With regard to the earmark case, if you if you think about earmarks, Congress is passing a law that says that we have this much money for this type of program. And then the administration under the Constitution implements that law by following formulas that they come up with to assign grants uh, within that kind of rubric. So it's, it's not like Congress is giving up its power to legislate when it decides that it all of a sudden um, wants to ban earmarks. But the Republican Party's rules in the Senate, this is a great example of this. They say to this day that it is the policy of the Republican conference that no member shall request an earmark. They just renewed this ban a couple of months ago, and they even voted to make it permanent in 2019. Yet they've now we have leading Republicans in the Senate saying that they're just symbolic. They don't really matter. And we can ignore them if we want to. And that just it, it boggles my mind to think how a legislature can function without rules. And if you don't think the rules matter and you think they're merely symbolic and you can follow them when it's convenient, they're not rules anymore. They don't matter anymore. And therefore, Congress isn't going to be functioning very well without them. Yeah. And it seems like we're we're getting further and further down this path. I always talk about uh you know, if we if we drain the meaning of words, uh, we're going to find ourselves in a really weird place. And and I think we've seen that on everything from things like we can't even agree on what infrastructure is. Is it is it roads and bridges and uh, internet superhighways, or is it healthcare and tax reform? Uh, and and then you can go down just a, a host of different things where we keep changing the meaning. And if the meaning of earmarks is just a symbolic thing, it really doesn't have any meaning. Uh, where does that put us in terms of getting anything done in Congress? That's right. And I think we would be well to remember Thomas Jefferson's sage adv- advice. He was the, the America's first parliamentarian. He presided over the Senate as the, the, uh, his vice president uh, during the administration of um, President Adams. And he wrote a, a, ma- a manual of parliamentary procedure. And in that manual, he says, when, when it comes to deliberating and legislating, he says, quote, it is much more material that there should be a rule to go by than what that rule is. Mm. Now, most Americans know Thomas Jefferson for the Declaration of Independence, but I would add that this this short sentence here is very important when it comes to Congress because he is absolutely correct. Congress can't be Congress without rules. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, and they just seem to keep uh, writing and rewriting the rules or breaking the – my favorite maneuver always in the Senate was – when they broke the rules so they could break the rules so they could do whatever they really wanted to do. Right. I mean, the nuclear option where you, where you go around the rules and with a simple majority and to avoid a filibuster, but the senators are, are so they're, they're lazy and these are good people, but they're lazy when it comes to the rules because they don't even bother changing the rules. They just say those Senate rules still say that you can filibuster judges. Right. But they just ignore the plain text of the rule every time they vote to in debate on a judge or presidential nominee with a simple majority. The same case with regard to earmarks and that you there is no one act of original sin that then clears the way for everything else that came afterwards. That's not the way this works. You break the rules every time you assent to a process that is in direct violation of those rules. And it is to hold the rules in the utmost contempt, I think, to don't, you don't even bother to change them. It's like they don't even matter anymore. Mm. 
We talk a lot about contempt on this program, but when you have contempt for the <laughs> rules, <laughs> that's a, like that's like a whole other level for us to be thinking about. Yeah, we're in we're in trouble when that happens. Uh, James Walner from uh, R Street Institute. Always appreciate your uh, insight on this one. I'm not sure how we fix this one in the short run, uh, but this is one we have to get right for the long haul. Because if we uh, just get to where we have no rules, uh, then we're then we're really in trouble. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, again, that's James Walner. Always appreciate James' perspective uh, on these things. He is the sage of the Senate, uh, and he knows the rules. I guarantee you. James Walner knows the rules better than any member of the United States Senate. Uh, Why? Because he reads them, he studies them, and then he looks at how we are applying them. Uh, And that's something that uh, is sadly lacking. You know, it used to be you had at least a few members uh, in the Senate and in Congress who were really good at the rules. Uh, But sadly, there aren't very many of those left, and uh, there aren't even a lot of great staffers left. Uh, they uh, sort of abdicated to the staffers over time. And so you had a few people like James who became just expert in the rules of the Senate. Uh, But now uh, even many of those people have left uh, the Hill and have gone on to other things. And so there's a a really interesting period coming up where uh, who do we really look to to interpret the rules, how the Senate should function, how things should be done. Uh, And to me, that's, uh, that's really the ultimate test there. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll do a quick update on what's happening with the Utah Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, Dr. Controversies, and more. Uh, We'll also take a a quick peek at Phil Mickelson and a win for the ages, over the ages. Uh, Coming up next on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.